0: So some navigation for this morning. As I said, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, which is the day that we celebrate Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And that begins what we call Holy Week, uh, the week where Jesus... uh, does the Lord's Supper, we call that Monday, Thursday with the, his disciples, then Good Friday where Jesus dies, he's crucified, and then, of course, Resurrection Sunday, more commonly called Easter, and so those two weeks are the highest and most important holy weeks or holy days, I should say, in the Christian calendar, and so we're going to give those their own attention, which means that this is the last uh, sermon in the, God First, in the God First series, and it struck me, so if you've got your Bibles, that was like a weird puberty, like, click there. Oof. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. If you're, they're a phone or if you want to use the exact same Bible I'm using, page 155 is where we'll be. It's, it's Deuteronomy. But I'd love for you to be looking at this for a second because it really struck me how, how profound it is that we are talking about Deuteronomy 11 today. And, and I know that might sound weird, so let me, let me explain a little bit as many of you know, and I've talked about throughout the series, that Deuteronomy itself is a collection of sermons. It's, it's three sermons that, that Moses gives. And so, if you remember with me the story, Israel made it to the, the promised land. They were about to enter the land, but because of fear, and we talked, we talked about the story, stories, like the first sermon in this series, they refused, and so God sent them into the wilderness, and they wandered in this region for about 40 years, not like every week, but they you know camp and move and whatnot. Uh, Then God calls them back, and so they come back into the the place where their parents were at, and just before they're about to take this land that was promised, this promised land, this beautiful, uh, green, lush, uh, providentially provided area, Moses says, hold up, I need to preach. And everyone groaned collectively, because that's what you all would do, right? Oh, Moses is going to preach. And then he goes on for 32 chapters. (laughs) Which are, in fact, three different sermons, and this is the last chapter in the first sermon that Moses gives. Now, think about this for a second. Just put yourself on a timeline for a moment. We are in what year? I always get it wrong, right? 2018, right? Moses, what? Did I get it wrong? Oh, Anne chuckled at me like I'm a fool, and I thought, did I say the wrong year? No, okay. 2018, Anne, come on, be, be nice, gentle. My, my ego is fragile. 2018 is where we're at. Now, if we put Moses on the map, Moses is, and of course this is roughly, uh, we don't have his tombstone, uh, he is roughly like way over here, about 1300 B.C. So that means that this sermon was first preached, 1300 B.C., which puts us roughly 3,300 years from the moment that this was first spoken. You hold in your hand a sermon that was preached 3,300 years ago. That's big. That's big. Bigger than that is that for the past 3,300 years, Christians, the people of God in Israel, read this book, Every year. And and, and so we're we're talking, right now there's around 2 billion Christians in the world, right? Roughly. For 3,300 years, billions of people every year have read this sermon. That it was passed orally. It was passed, written down to thousands of languages. To billions of people. Over three millennia. And as it was passed across these millennia, kings and dictators and small-minded people, people who, 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 didn't, who couldn't catch, catch hold of this message, opposed this sermon being spread, being preached, being shared, being spoken about, being written down. And so millions upon millions of people died because they refused to not read the sermon. Because they refused to not not preach the sermon. You hold in your hands today, if you look down on a phone or in a Bible, you have in your hands... A sermon that has echoed through thousands of years across every continent in thousands of languages to billions of peoples and millions of martyrs to your hand today. The gospel and the work of God is so much bigger than you. It almost makes me feel insignificant. If it weren't Jesus who said, every hair on your head is known and numbered. And so while it is so much bigger than you, so much bigger than me, we are grafted into this. And all of this is enormous, wondrous, almost miraculous. And I say all of this because I'm afraid That when I read verse 1 of chapter 11, you will tune out because you've heard it so many times before that you might take it lightly, but it is not a thing to be taken lightly. Just as the words in your hand are not to be taken lightly. You shall therefore love the Lord your God. And keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. I like that it starts with love. Makes it easier to hear rules and statutes after. And we've talked a good deal about that. And it seems as though we ought to make a little bit about that, that, that God's first word here, of course, this is very similar to what we read in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, where, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, you shall love the Lord your God. We, we heard that this is the recitation of the Jewish people throughout the time of Moses and 3,000 years. That the first thing to say is to love God What a deep and meaningful thing to say the creator of heaven and earth is reaching out in love and wanting to receive love back. Because there is one, I think, universal truth. It doesn't matter what religion or non-religion you might be here today. We all really are desperate for love. We are all desperate to receive love maybe even more than we are to give love. And the first thing God does is he reaches out to give us the thing that we need most. And it is important to note that God is the one that gives this thing because I don't know about your experience with family, with friends, with people who give love, uh, but sometimes they mess up and let you down. And we sang today words that said that God is not going to let us down. That the love of God is reaching out to you today regardless of what you have done or where you come from or what your family is like. That the love of God is reaching out and calling across 3,300 years God says to you today, I love you. That's deep. And the problem, though, I see also with this great and wonderful and heartfelt mes- message is that sometimes that's also where we stop. Thank you, God, for your love, and on we go. Forgetting the second part of this, which is intricately tied to it. It isn't as though there's this thing where God loves and then you sort of move on. Because one of the things that I, I, I note, a lot of these insight, this insight came uh, when I became a parent. And I realized how incredibly self-centered and awful children are. Now, I knew this because I worked in youth ministry. I knew kids were horrible. But I didn't know how horrible until I lived with them. <laughs> Can I get a witness, parents? Right? I mean, let's... Let's be real. Uh, Esri hit this week six hours, one night. It's a miracle. I mean, it, the kids slept for... Laura was delirious with happy. I thought she'd been drinking. She was so excited. I was like, what's going on? And the thing that a kid wants from you as a parent is what? Pop-tarts and video games. It's, it's actually still what I want. <laughs> He's being honest. I mean, that's what they want. The kid would give me what I want, right? Give me, I want junk food. I want. Esri is so in love with cookies. This one year old will do anything for a cookie, she will let any any person hold them. It's so dangerous, right? (laughs) If you've got a cookie, this kid's like, all right, let's do it. That's what kids want. But as parents, we know better. As parents, we know that the sugar will only make them more awful. And we can't live with that, so we cut them off. We understand what is better because we have a perspective that has come oftentimes through pain, right? And so we say to those little ones and even the bigger ones, don't do that, it's stupid. And you'll hurt yourself. And they don't want to hear it, whether they're little or whether they're big. And isn't that what we want from God? We want a God who will give us what we want. We want a God who will accept everything we do. We want a God who will pat us on the back. We want a God who will always do for us what we wish. And if you are going to love God, you must love God as he is, not as you want him to be. And that is a hard truth in our day. It is a God of immense love and compassion He is overwhelmingly good, but he also commands. Just as you must learn how to love those children or your spouse or anybody, anybody that you have, you have to love them for who they are. You love them for who they are. You don't really love them at all. You're in it for yourself. And if there's one thing that God does not tolerate, he does not tolerate people who are in it for themselves. God is looking for those who will love him. And Jesus does the same thing, because sometimes we draw a line. Well, there's this God of the Old Testament, and this, he's kind of angry, and he's blowing people, blowing people up all the time. We're actually gonna, I'm actually going to show that. But, and, and that is something that God does. God is, God is a God also of justice and judgment. But, but then we draw a hard line between him and Jesus. But Jesus, man, he was, the, he was the pat you on the back guy. No, no. Jesus said what? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because love and obedience go together. Because God is not the God that you want. He is the God that is. He revealed himself that way to Moses, right? Moses said, we don't even know your name. And God said, I am. I am. And the importance of these sermons and the echoing across the millennia is this. God has not changed. And he's still calling us He's still calling us. God's goodness is then described here in chapter 11 again. We've heard stories of God's goodness over and over again. It's important. And there are two paradigmatic stories. And and they're here in this text. I'm not going to read them, but I'm going to sort of retell them. Because we get little snippets here. There's two stories. The first one is the one of Pharaoh and his armies. And the second one is Korah's Rebellion. And the first one is told uh, out of Exodus and, and coming up here, it might even be on TV. I don't know if they put the Ten Commandments on TV anymore or not, but if not, you've got the Blu-ray or whatever. Um, some of you do, I have. You can come over and watch it with me. I love it. The Ten Commandments and the story of, the story of uh, Moses and, and he's leading the people out of Egypt and there's these plagues and they, they get to the Red Sea. You remember this story? They get to the Red Sea and he strikes the Red Sea And the Red Sea parts, splits wide open, and the children of Israel move through the Red Sea. And of course, as they're moving through Pharaoh's armies with their their chariots are bearing down upon them with all the ferocity of, well, a chariot running at you. I don't know what that would be like, but it sounds scary. Horses and metal just coming at you, spears and swords, and and all of the anger that's that's pent up. and They're they're coming at them, and then of course the story ends with the Israelites make it through the other side, and the waters come crashing down, and they they fall upon the Israel or upon the Egyptians. They swallow them them up, and the gifts stopped working, and that's that's that. It was supposed to play them being swallowed because. Nope, nope, all right. Well, hopefully the next ones will work, because they're better. In this story, we see the protection of God on the people of God, or for the people of God, from external threats. There's an external threat, and, and God is going to step in, and he's preserving them, and he's He's showing them his goodness by preserving them. The next story is an internal threat, and this is found in Numbers chapter 16. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Numbers 16 is this story, and I encourage you to read that uh, over the week. At some point, it's a great story. What happens is Moses has been leading the people very faithfully. And Korah and Dathan and a few others, many others, in fact, they, they create this small minority of people who say, well, who put Moses in charge of us? Why is Moses the boss? We can figure this thing out for us. In fact, God loves us as much as God loves Moses. And so we are going to set up our own priests, and we will worship God how we want to worship God. And so there's this division for you church folks. This is our church split. Not over carpets, but over leadership. Who's going to be in charge of the church? Who's going to be in charge of this? And there's a small minority who is very vocal. This is kind of how church splits off in work. Um, and they're rising up against Moses. And so there's this competition between them. And the censers are out, the, these bowls of, uh, of incense that they would use in their worship for prayer. And, and Moses and Aaron are there. And then a kind of, uh, if you think of the lines are drawn, and Dathan and Korah and his ilk are there. And Moses stands up and he says, I am God's chosen one. I have been called by him to lead you, and I will prove this. And there is a great, well, first he calls, he calls all of the people of Israel, everybody who's on my side, move away from those guys because trouble's coming. And the earth is going to open up and swallow them. And as I was reading the story, I could not help but think of this. There's a great earthquake. There is a great earthquake in the story. And the, and the earth just cracks open and swallows them whole, the tents all of them swallowed whole. And the men who were, who were with Dathan and Korah, who had those bowls of incense, who were l- trying to lead the prayers of the people, they were running away, but then God struck them down. And poof, they were consumed with, with fire. There are a lot of very funny Star Trek gifts out there, by the way. Spend some time with that. These are the two stories that Moses gives as, illustrate, as illustrations of God's goodness and provision for his people. He protects his people from the external threats and he protects people as well from the internal threats because both of those are critically important. And one of the things I think that we forget sometimes is that sense of internal threat. We're often aware or ready to be aware of the external threats of problems that you might have in your life. Some of you might also be very spiritually minded and and you, and you recognize that Satan is a roaring lion, that there are unseen forces of darkness that are opposed to you, that they have your ill in mind and that they are doing their best to draw you away from God with false thoughts and false experiences, and temptation. But there is an internal threat that rises, too, within the church. And this is opposed not only, again, as we talked about, there's no... That's not quite right. There is significant difference, but there is complete continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the threat that we see with Dathan and his rebellion in the Old Testament is the thing which... Jude warns us about if you go all the way to the end of your Bible almost to the end to not quite revelation but to Jude Jude warns the people against allowing these these evil folks to rise up and to lead them astray they are hidden reefs at your love feast which is the communion right at communion. They are shepherds who only feed themselves. They are waterless clouds. They are swept along by winds. They are fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea uh, ca- ca- casting up their foam on their own, to their own shame. They are wandering stars, which is a reference to um, demonic forces. They are wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. That's Harsh right i've been accused of being harsh. I have never been this harsh, and this is in your Bible right like this i didn 't make that up you saw it it's, it's, it's right there this is this is here. it is a warning against those kinds of things well. Anyway, that's just to say that we live in a pluralistic society, a society which seems to today propose that all thoughts and all ideas about God are equally valid. In Moses, Deuteronomy, the whole of Scripture says, no, that is not true. Some ideas are true, and some ideas are false. And the true ideas are rooted here, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments always. In fact, Moses goes even further than that. He says, don't just keep the commandments, but, but teach them to your children. Apply them to your life. Talk about them on the road. Talk about them as you're walking. Talk about them as you're driving. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Keep them in your homes. Keep them in front of you all the time. And God says, if you do this in chapter 11 there, looking at verse 13, if you keep and obey my commandments... To love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. So that's heart, all your will and experience. And, and soul is just another word for life, right? So in all of your life, he will give you rain for your land in its season. Early rain, later rain. And then you can gather in your grain, your wine, your oil. And he will give you grass in your fields for your livestock. And you, they shall eat and be full. And then there's the warning that we're all very familiar with. Take care lest your heart become deceived and you turn aside and you serve other gods and you worship them. Because then God's anger will be kindled against you. And here are two things that I, should, I think are really important to point out. As we continue to think about Deuteronomy, there are two false teachings that kind of go out in relation to this. The first is that this applies to a nation state today. It doesn't. No nation can pull itself into this text and say, well, God is going to bless us. That is not what's happening here. This is a promise to a nation in a place at a time. That's what's going on here. The second thing is we don't apply it necessarily broadly, but we apply it individually. Well, if I obey God and keep his promises or keep his commandments, God will give me blessings and abundance. Those are the two favorite words of men like Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, all the people that you see on TV, generally speaking. You see the word harvest from them a lot as well. You'll get the harvest, right, harvest. If you give them more money. This is something we call the prosperity gospel, but it it, it sneaks in 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 many other ways. And I just want to warn that when you read this text, that is not what is going on here. This is a broad statement about the people of God who are going to live in that land because they are going to grow crops. I'd like to see any of those guys on TV till a field. Right? I don't want to till a field, <laughs> honestly. I, this is this is particular. This does not say that God is going to make a nation of millionaires who all have houses in the Riviera and are drying, le- driving Lexuses, right? It says, God says, when you go to till the ground, I'm going to give you the food that you need, which Jesus echoes. You remember Jesus saying this? Pray what? Give us this day $50,000. Daily bread, right? got that wrong. Right? Give us today our daily bread because God is the God who provides. And the problem these days in late <laughs> late western capitalism is that when we think about all the things that we want god to provide that is not a part of the promise that is not a part of the promise and let's not be mis- misunderstanding what's happening here with these israelites their lives are not going to be easy either if you've ever tilled a ground or picked up rocks in a field you know that this is not going to be easy. You laugh because you've done it, right? This is not going to be an easy life for them, but what is going to come out of it is meeting of their needs so that they can live out the way of God, so that they might be a light to the nations and that the nations would see there is a God in Israel. And one of the things that we do so often with Deuteronomy is we don't know what to do with it, so we get sloppy. And we slap things onto it that don't belong. We begin with the text and what the text says and what God is doing. And then we pull out from it, if there is something to pull out from it, something that will speak to us. So what speaks to us in this? There is a God who has spoken for 3,000 years about his love for you and his love for me. And his desire that we should walk in his ways. And that as we walk in his ways, we submit ourselves completely to the will of God. And there could be nothing more terrifying than that. You ever given yourself completely to someone else? Moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have a little child and you think, oh, that baby's going to be wonderful. And they're going to be so sweet and innocent. Because all of your experience beforehand has been giving them back. And suddenly there's no one to give them to. <laughs> and you're stuck. That's the closest thing that I could sort of think of to experience, the idea of completely handing your life over. When we say these things, I am yours, that's heavy. And that might mean that God blesses you financially. And if he does, he has done it for a purpose. And you know what that purpose is? To bless others And if God doesn't bless you financially, he's blessed you with some other gift and capability so that you can what? Bless others. And that our concern and love for one another needs to be the concern and love that we are going to see throughout the book of Deuteronomy where we sometimes get into our head that the service of God... Okay. In the ancient world, you know how they worshiped gods? They laid food at their altars. Do you know why? Why? Because they thought gods ate. In fact, some of their stories are the reason, the reason that humans are even made. They were made because the gods didn't want to work. They wanted to play video games and eat Pop-Tarts. And so what do you do if you want that? You have children if you're on a farm. Or you make people if you're a god. Now we laugh at that because we have a materialistic worldview and we say, well, that's stupid because nobody believes that kind of stuff because we actually rarely believe and think about the spiritual world. But let me just say this. The God of the scriptures is unique not only 3,000 years ago, but 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth because they still believed that God's ate. And the service that they gave to the gods was they would lay food out in front of them or they would sacrifice animals to them or they would sacrifice people to them. Our God does not eat. Our God is not the kind of God who is needing those kinds of things. And so what do we do to serve God? Well, some of you had it. What do you do to serve God? You serve others. We offer sacrifices of praise. We declare God's greatness. We glorify in Him. We We give some of our time to prayer, we maybe tithe to the the ministries that are going out into into areas in missions or other area things that we're doing here to reach out. We, We have those kinds of things that we do. But when it comes down to it, if you want to ask the question, how do I love God? The important thing to remember is that question has an immediate corollary, how do I love others? You might recall Jesus said, there are two great commandments. You remember this? I, mean, I don't have anything new to tell you. Everything that I, I tell you, if, it has, if it's profound in any way, it's because it was in the book that's in your hands. And the scriptures say this, when the, when the, the per- person stood up and tried to stump Jesus with a really great question, because there are like 316 laws, you get to pick one, and as soon as you pick one law, what happens? Somebody else is like, I got a better one. But Jesus nails it, and he silences them all. Love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. It's akin to it. It's attached to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As Moses concludes this sermon, as he concludes this first sermon from chapter one to chapter 11, he has said over and over and over again, love God and keep his commandments. Love God and keep his commandments. Love God and keep his commandments. And if you say that all day, every day, you will do your soul, your life, your neighbors, your family, your business, much good. Much good. Because as, as got it as you think you have it, you don't got it. Because we all forget. We don't forget, but we forget. You know what I mean? We don't forget, but we, we forget. So as the sermon concludes here with Moses, I will land where he lands and say this. As you go forth into this week, I entreat you in the name of the living God, the God who spoke 3,300 years ago and the God who speaks to you today, who says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and keep his commandments. As we come to a conclusion, we invite anyone who is wrestling with that. Maybe you are wrestling with loving God. Maybe you are wrestling with God loving you. One of the hardest things we can do is come to a place where we really recognize that God loves us and God likes us and God wants to be with us. And if you are wrestling with that issue, we invite you to come forward. We'll have elders on on both of these ends here and and they're not here to judge you. They're not here to even correct you. They're here to talk with you about how you can walk in God's ways. If you're struggling with keeping his commandments, correction might be needed and some of us are wrestling with that if you are wrestling with keeping the commandments of God and you need somebody to walk with you to help hold you accountable to pray with you we will have elders here as well and we would love to be a part of your walk with God so if you have any need at all we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song